Turn again to John's Gospel, chapter 3. I want to speak about the new birth and to ask the question, what does it mean to be born again? Uh, I think most people would know that it has some connection with religion. Uh, Some see born-again Christians as, as a denomination. I remember lady that lived next to us in Bowmanville. She was a nurse in the uh, General Motors uh, clinic, whatever you call it, in uh, the factory in Oshawa. And she said, oh, we have all kinds of uh, people there. We have uh, Anglicans, we have Presbyterians, we have Baptists, we have Pentecostals. Uh, We even have some born again. Uh, So to her, it was sort of another denomination. So while most people know it has some kind of religious connotation. Uh, There's little real understanding as to what the new birth is. In fact, in a survey taken a few years ago now uh, in the US, uh, about 50% of the people claim to be born again. It's uh, a little surprising, I think, in view of the lifestyle of most people. So the first thing we look at is the, the biblical use of the term. What does the Bible Teach us. Well, there are not many references. There are two here in John uh, 3. Uh, in verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then twice we get it in First Peter. First Peter 1 3. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in the same chapter, verse 23, uh, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So then the actual four references that specifically use the term Uh, born again. Uh, You have equivalent uh, terms in 1 John, John's first epistle, six times uh, we read of people who are born of God. In James 1.18, the NIV says he chose to give us birth. Uh, The ESV, perhaps not as clear, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So that's really the extent of the use of the term being born again or being born uh, of God. Interestingly, it is never used in apostolic preaching. Maybe that would surprise you. Apostles didn't talk frequently about uh, being uh, born again. And the reason probably is it refers to that side of salvation was entirely God's. When they preached uh, to sinners... Uh, the need was to repent and believe, and so that was the emphasis of apostolic uh, preaching. Though, uh, there is a place, surely, for preaching the new birth in terms of need. And that's what you get here with Nicodemus, isn't it? He he needs to be born again. Uh, So that's the way it's uh, set forth, the need of the new birth. And notice that Jesus doesn't give Nicodemus three uh, easy steps uh, by which to be born again. Uh, He simply brings before him 
the need to be born again. So let's look secondly at the need of the new birth. Uh, Just think of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, obviously a very sincere Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Realize that uh, Israel were under Roman uh, rule, but they had a a measure of self-government as long as they behaved themselves, and they had the Sanhedrin, which is a, a group of 70 people plus the high priest who was sort of the chair Uh, of that uh, group. So Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. We see that as we go through John. He was one of the few leading Jews who were at all sympathetic uh, to Jesus. He was religious. He was courteous. People have made quite a bit of the fact he came at night. Perhaps he knew Jesus was busy during the day and so he came so that he wouldn't interrupt his uh, preaching. And yet, despite all that, he needed to be born again. And two reasons are given in John 3 in this section uh, as to why it was necessary to be born again. And the first is that it's necessary to understand spiritual truth. Notice verse uh, 3. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, You would see there as in terms of, of understanding it, uh, seeing the scope, uh, the, uh, the nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, there was some understanding of what the kingdom of God was uh, all about. Uh, Nicodemus needed to be born again in order to understand these things. Now he was a man who was well educated. He was recognized as the teacher. Notice that in verse 10, uh, he doesn't simply said, uh, are you a teacher in Israel? Are you the teacher in Israel? He was obviously a a teacher par excellence. He was an outstanding and well-known teacher uh, among uh, the Jews. He thought he had at least some understanding about Jesus' ministry, and yet he did not understand these things. Notice that in verse 10. Uh, Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Uh, He didn't understand uh, because he wasn't born again. You see, an unconverted person cannot understand the truth of the gospel. Familiar verse in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, that is the unconverted person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In the year of the Queen's coronation, Queen Elizabeth, back in uh, 53, it's a long time ago, before most of you uh, were born, but I remember that, uh, my mother gave me a coronation Bible. Uh, It was a a red one. When it was uh, at all hot weather, my hands got very red uh, from it. Uh, so I thought I would open it and uh, start reading. And I read in the New Testament, and I read uh, Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John, a measure of interest in that. And I read the book of Acts, and that was interesting too. Uh, then I started into Romans, and I couldn't understand a word. Just totally uh, incomprehensible to me at that stage. I wasn't born again. I didn't understand these things, so I 
closed my Bible and never opened it again until I was converted and was in Singapore, sent to my mother to send it out to uh, uh, Singapore. Uh, so if a person's not born again, they really can't understand the truths of the gospel. They may understand certain facts. They may even have a certain faith, uh, but they can't really grasp those truths vital to their spiritual well being. Now, the reason I began the last three verses of chapter 2, I think this brings us out well. So, 2.23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to him. Now, that word entrust is basically the same word as believed. What it's saying is they believed in him, but he didn't believe in them. (laughs) He knew it wasn't a genuine work of grace. They had a faith, but it wasn't a saving faith. And we see that a number of times where it says people believed, but the evidence of their lives after that makes it very clear it was not saving faith. It didn't transform their lives. And so we have to face up to the fact uh, they were neat people, and they say, yes, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe the Bible, uh, but yet they haven't believed the essential truths of the gospel, even as we saw uh, this morning. Nicodemus believed, and you see, he, he knew what was in man, and then there was, there was a man of the Pharisees, so Nicodemus was one of those given as an example in these last uh, few uh, verses of chapter 2. Nicodemus believed Jesus was sent from God. He believed he was a prophet. He was a miracle worker. Uh, But that was not saving faith. He couldn't understand about the kingdom. And uh, sadly, there are large numbers in our churches across this land and around uh, the world where there's some measure of faith, but they know nothing of the gospel's saving power possible there are some here this evening yes you believe in the truths of the gospel uh, but that power has not come to transform your heart you haven't been born again and your faith is simply in the head uh, not really uh, in the heart I remember I had a tract years ago I might have used this illustration before but it was called missing heaven by 18 inches Uh, How can you miss heaven by 18 inches? Well, there's a difference between the head and the heart. Uh, You can believe in the head uh, and not be on your way to heaven. You can be unsaved. You need to believe in the heart, the whole being yielded to the Lord in saving faith. Some hear the gospel faithfully preached week after week. Uh, I can think of people that have heard the gospel probably thousands of times faithfully preached and yet not come to a knowledge, an understanding of the gospel, not embraced Christ as Lord and Saviour, because they're not born again. So the new birth is necessary to understand spiritual truth, and then secondly, the new birth is necessary to enter the kingdom of God. If the new birth is necessary to see the kingdom, uh, to understand the truths about the kingdom, it's certainly necessary to enter the kingdom, as we see in verse uh, 5. Uh, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom 
of God. So clearly, being born again was necessary for Nicodemus. Not being born again, there was no possibility of entering the kingdom of God. New birth was necessary for Nicodemus. It's necessary for all. There will not be one person in heaven who's not born again. A lady used to attend our church in Bowmanville. Occasionally her husband would come with her, but not often. He was an elder in a united church. And when we would visit, Pamela and I, he would usually make a point of not being there. He was retired, but he would always be out somewhere. One time, I don't know whether his wife didn't tell him that we were coming, but anyway, he was there. And we got into conversation. He said, I know the Bible speaks about being born again, but do you have to be born again to go to heaven? What a wonderful opportunity to bring the gospel there. Uh, Yes, you do have to be born again uh, to go to heaven. Those born again are not an elite group of Christians who will get special privileges. They are simply Christians. God's people are designated by a number of terms in the New Testament. Uh, Oh, we lost my uh, list here. Um, Christians, believers, brothers, saints, disciples, children of God. And to be children, of course, you have to be born. To be a child, you need to be born be a child of God, you need to be born again. Whether criminal or respectable, we need to be born again. Whether religious or irreligious, we need to be born again. Whether baptized or not, whether a church member or not, we need to be born again. The great 18th century evangelist George Whitfield, uh, he preached an average of about a dozen times or 15 times a week. Uh, over many, many years of his ministry. Uh, so, obviously, when you preach that often, you don't have time to do thorough preparation of messages from the, st- the start. So you're going to repeat uh, certain messages. And apparently one of his favorite messages was, "Ye must be born again. And I suppose people would follow Whitfield around different parts of London, say, and hear him, and maybe hear that sermon a number of times. And a man asked him one day, Mr. Whitfield, why do you so often preach on the text, you must be born again? Whitfield's response was very simple, because you must be born again. It is a necessity for all. We must be born again. Well, thirdly, what's the source of the new birth? How does it come about? I've already mentioned that Jesus did not give Nicodemus a series of steps. He announced it as a need. And that's true with every reference to the new birth. It's either set forth as a fact or as a need. In other words, it's not something we can do. It's not something we can qualify uh, for. It's a sovereign work of God. Uh, Born again could be translated born from above. That word is used elsewhere in uh, in that uh, way. Born from above. So we have to rule out all earthly causes. Natural birth doesn't result in spiritual birth 
automatically. You know, it's a wonderful privilege. You boys and girls, you realize how wonderfully privileged you are to be born in Christian homes. That's a wonderful thing. Marvelous privilege. But it doesn't make you children of God. That doesn't guarantee that you're born again. You have to be individually born again. That work of God in your hearts. Uh, Baptism doesn't produce uh, new birth, even though it talks about being born of water and the Spirit. I'll make reference to that uh, shortly. Uh, And you get that contrast in verse uh, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Natural birth is one thing, born of the flesh. Spiritual birth is another, born of the Spirit, and that's what we need. It is God who produces the new birth. As I mentioned, six times in 1 John, uh, we read of those who are born of God. And Peter tells us, he has given us new birth. James tells us, God chose to give give us birth. And uh, here in John 3, we uh, read of being born of the Spirit. Now, that shouldn't be hard to accept. Clearly, there's an analogy to birth, isn't there? Uh, What part did we play in our birth? Uh, You children, how many of you chose your parents? Any of you? How many of you chose which country you'd be born in? Did you even choose whether you'd be male or female? Clearly, uh, we're passive in that. That's God's sovereign work, even in natural uh, things. Uh, There is a human side in salvation. We'll refer to that a little uh, later. But in the new birth, it's entirely the work of God. Fourthly, what is the nature of the new birth? What actually happens when a person is born again? Well, he receives spiritual life. By nature, we are Dead, dead in sin. It comes out very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. But in the new birth, God imparts new life. Wonderful passage dealing with that, Ezekiel 36 and verse 25, where the Lord speaking says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Uh, That's speaking in ceremonial terms there, ritual uh, and Commentators like Don Carson believe that being born of water and the Spirit refers back uh, to this. And he said, you'll be clean from all your uncleannesses, from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and the new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Wonderful work there where God grants to us a new heart. Going back some early memories here, but uh, 1967, a South African doctor, Christian Barnard, performed the first uh, heart transplant in humans. Uh, What a wonderful change. What a marvelous uh, event that was. Someone that was uh, bound to die, and yet they received a new heart. Now they did actually die after a couple of weeks, but not because there was any failure in the surgery. He contracted uh, pneumonia. Uh, But what a radical change that uh, brought about. What a marvellous change. 
And that's true spiritually. When we're born again, what a radical change. What an amazing difference that makes to someone when they are born again. It's not physical. It's spiritual. But nevertheless, there is a tremendous change. You can try and draw some parallels. They're not very uh, adequate. Uh, Once we were on our way to a conference in the States and uh, our radiator leaked, our temperature warning gauge didn't work and uh, our motor burned out. It was absolutely dead. It could do nothing. Uh, In the providence of God, we were given some money uh, to put a new motor in that car. Uh, I say new. It was a used motor, but it was a different motor. Uh, And what a change. As soon as we turned the key, it went, and off we went, and eventually uh, drove home from Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is where we had uh, broken uh, down. Uh, Or you can think of a new battery and a toy. Boys and girls, you get toys, and the battery runs out, and it sort of gets slower and slower and slower, and then it stops. And uh, you put a new battery in it, and woof, where it is, Uh, there it is again, uh, acting as it did uh, before. Uh, there's a new controlling principle. A.H. Uh, Strong in his uh, Systematic Theologist defines the new birth uh, as that work of God uh, whereby the governing disposition of the will is made holy. Not in the sense of being perfect, but holy, different, set apart to God. Uh, God gives a new controlling principle within. Just as radical a change as happened with uh, Christian Bernard's heart transplant or new motor uh, in a car. It's a new controlling principle. And how does it take place? What exactly happens? Well, there's a mystery here. Uh, God works by his spirit. We know that. We're born of the spirit. Uh, he uses the word, as we saw in First Peter 1.23. We're not born again by corruptible things, silver and gold, but by the word of God. Uh, but it's unseen. Unseen. It, Jesus uses the illustration of the wind in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of a spirit. It's like the wind. Can we see the wind? Can we see the wind? No? Shaking heads. That's right. You can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. About a week or so, there were tremendous gusts of wind along our balcony. Everyone went clattering uh, there. And next morning, we we walked out. There were three uh, red uh, plum trees or cherry trees, about 30-foot trees, all uprooted just flat on the ground. There must have been a, almost like a tornado went through uh, and ripped up all these trees. That was the effect of the wind. You couldn't see the wind, but you can see the effect uh, there. And even with a gentle wind, you can see the leaves moving, can't you? And you can see the sometimes rubbish blowing around uh, on the, uh, the sidewalk. So uh, you, you can't see the wind, you see the effects. You can't see the new birth occur, but you see the effects. If you happen to be with someone at that moment, they were born again, that would be a wonderful thing, but you wouldn't see any difference. You wouldn't see somehow their heart open up and something pop in there. 
but in time you would see the effects and that's all important to see the effects of the new birth you look at someone sitting down standing up whatever it is uh, are they born again well how can you know you can only see it by observing their lives seeing how they live how they behave how they speak so my fifth point is the effects of the new birth and the first is faith now to say that faith brings about the new birth is to put the cart before the horse turn with me please to first john I want to point you to three references which have identical grammatical construction. In chapter 5, verse 1, you read, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And you might read that and perhaps get the effect that if we believe, that will bring about the new birth. But go back to the other two references. I say the same construction. Look at chapter 2, verse 29, last verse of chapter 2. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Would we say if we see a person practicing righteousness, that brings about the new birth? That would be salvation by works, wouldn't it? The righteousness is the evidence of the new birth. Look at chapter 4. Verse 7, let us love one another, love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Are we going to argue that if someone loves, that's the ground of the new birth? Because we love, God will grant that new birth. No, love is the evidence of the new birth. And exactly the same work construction in chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. In other words, righteousness, godliness, is the result of the new birth. True love to God and man is the result of the new birth. And faith is the result of the new birth. When God does that work, giving a new heart, the first, the immediate effect, is faith. Because it's coupled with Repentance, And we're not saying there's a difference in time. You know, someone's born again and six months later they believe. Of course they're together, but the order is significant. The order is very important there. God gives a new heart, and the first result of that new heart is to trust in Christ, to reach out to the Savior, to believe in him. So there's the first effect of the new birth faith. The second is holiness. Again, we've seen it. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, we know as believers born again, we do sin, but John makes a difference here. Makes a practice. Willfully continues in a path of sin. A born-again person doesn't do that. By God's grace, we stumble all too often. We fail uh, the Lord uh, with our words, with our acts, and most certainly with uh, our thoughts. Uh, But holiness is the effect of the new birth. And we saw that again in Ezekiel uh, 26 there after 
the, the new heart being given. He says, I'll put my spirit in within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. That's the effect of the new birth. Uh, holiness, uh, a life that seeks to please uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And many today speak of being born again in whom there's no change, no holiness. I've got a clipping I cut out of the Toronto Star a good many years ago now, uh, advertising a born-again stripper. Can you imagine that? And she said she'd try to persuade uh, the management of the theatre to reduce the prices so as many people as possible could come in to see her take off her clothes and then hear her preach about Jesus. Can you imagine that? What would the apostles say uh, to that? Uh, Striptease artists claiming to be born again. God uh, forbid. Holiness is the effect of the new birth and without holiness no one will see the Lord. We're not teaching salvation by works. We're saying that the evidence of the new birth, the result of new birth and true faith is holiness of life. And then, of course, love. Again, come back to that verse, 1 John 4, 7. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love to God. Love to man uh, was not only the fulfillment of the law, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but it is for us, isn't it? The effect of uh, salvation. We show love to God. We show love to our fellow man or even to love our enemies. But love is the evidence of the new birth. And then spiritual appetites. Familiar with that verse, First Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn infants, Long, and that's an imperative, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Uh, it's sad when you see people who claim to be Christians who do not show uh, a love for the things of God. It seems they have no spiritual appetites. And that's one of the marks of a, a believer, spiritual appetites. Uh, if you had a new baby and uh, had no appetite, you'd be concerned, wouldn't you? Appetite as a sign of life. Can you imagine a, a, a mother going to the doctor and say, oh, Doctor, my baby hasn't eaten anything in two weeks. I'd probably be dead by then. Uh, one day without eating would cause a concern, wouldn't it? Appetite, a sign of life. And so it is with believers. Appetite, the love for God's word. Love for prayer. The love to be with other Christians, to serve the Lord as we're able in our uh, weakness. Uh, it's wonderful that God gives that spiritual appetite. Well, in conclusion, just a word of balance here. We need to be balanced. I've said that no human power can produce the new birth. We are passive, but we must not forget the other side uh, of uh, the coin. Uh, there are things for which we are responsible. And the things that I mentioned as evidence of the new birth are things required of us. Faith, uh, repentance, uh, holiness, uh, love. Uh, and that's why we urge people to repent and believe. 
Now you can say, well, the Bible tells us these are gifts of God. We can't of ourselves repent and believe. That may be true, but nevertheless, uh, God gives that command. In fact, you remember the words of Jesus, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, we can't do that, but we are responsible for our failure. The fact that we can't uh, be obedient to these things is uh, the result of sin within for which we are responsible. But in the case of the gospel, God gives enabling grace. And I think Lazarus is a wonderful illustration of this. Remember uh, when Jesus finally uh, went to Lazarus' family, Martha and Mary, uh, Lazarus had been in the grave four days. And I like the old King James, as uh, Martha said, by this time he stinketh. Uh, his body was always, already uh, decaying. There was an, an odor uh, there. Uh, but Jesus said, take away the stone. And they realized he was going to do something very <laughs> amazing. And he was going to call Lazarus out. Well, what would you think? Lord, there's no point in calling him. He's can't hear. He's deaf. Uh, there's no point in saying, come out, because he can't see the way out. He's blind. Uh, and anyway, he's totally dead. How can he possibly respond to that command to come forth? Uh, well, naturally impossible, but Jesus called anyway. And with the command came enabling power and grace for Lazarus to respond and come out of the tomb. That's what happens when we preach the gospel. We know people are dead in their sins. We know they can't repent of themselves. They can't believe of themselves. But with the call of the gospel comes enabling grace. And God uses the preaching of the gospel for the salvation of souls. Yes, that wonderful balance, God's sovereign working, but yes, people are enabled to repent and believe. And so that's what we urge them to do. How wonderful is God's saving grace. I ask you as I close, have you been born again? You boys and girls, have you been born again? Do you know that God has given you a new heart? Does your life show the evidence in terms of obedience to your parents, doing those jobs you're expected uh, to do? Uh, If you don't know the Lord, you need to be born again. You must be born again. And uh, we urge you to seek the Lord and ask for his grace that you may be born again. And if we are born again, again by his grace, we need to demonstrate it, show it by that holiness of life, that love, those spiritual appetites. And may God grant us to give clear evidence that we have been born again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, once again, we have to marvel at your grace. We who by nature are dead in our sins, utterly unable to please you, to respond to you, and yet, Father, you've come to so many of us here and granted us a new heart. Uh, You've given us that heart of flesh, taking away the heart of stone. Oh, Father, we pray uh, that if we are truly born again, we will give evidence of that by holy lives, 
by showing love to God and to man, by showing those spiritual appetites, that love for your word, for prayer, uh, for a service, uh, for fellowship with your people. Oh, Father, grant these things to us, we pray. Again, we just thank you for the way that you do work in our lives to make us your children. We give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our closing hymn, then, is 138. All hail.